Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. A lot of you are traveling out there this Memorial Day weekend, so you're already noticing the high costs and lots of people. As the economy continues to rebound from the pandemic, we're seeing vacations get more expensive with rising airfare and hotel rates. The price of gas is even making road trips more expensive too. If you're thinking about planning a vacation, start planning very early. For more on all of this, we'll speak to Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC. I think we got a little bit used to those bargain fares we were seeing and many of us most of us were not booking them last year and even into the beginning of 2021. Then all of a sudden, a bunch of people in America did get vaccinated and encouraged this, this huge uptick in demand for travel. People have been closed up in their homes for the better part of 15 months and they're ready to go out and travel. Whether you're vaccinated or not, uh, attractions are starting to open up. You have Disneyland that opens very recently. In other places, restaurants are opening in cities. And even in New York, we're starting to see things return a little bit more to normal. Yeah, you know, it's not just the airfare as well. Road trips, the cost of gas is going up. And for a time during the pandemic, that's what a lot of people resorted to. Let's do a quick road trip, something just to get out of the house. And even gas prices are going up. So all around, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because you know, some of these increases and everything, you know, they're not at pre-pandemic levels just yet. They're getting towards it. But even still, is just kind of coming out of this year where we're looking at these prices and just saying, man, that's expensive already. I think we got used to those really cheap prices during the pandemic. And you mentioned road trips. We've seen gasoline prices, national averages, the highest that we've seen since 2014. So it was this sort of alternative during the pandemic. Okay, I'm going to go out and avoid other people. I don't feel like going to an airport. I don't feel safe or, you know, whatever the reason might be. But a lot of other people had a similar idea. Of course, we're all getting out of our houses and and driving up demands for gasoline. What we're seeing in the airports, I think travelers can expect a lot of full flights. Airlines do not have the capacity that they had in 2019. They retired a lot of aircraft. A lot of their own employees retired or left the company. So they're not operating the same number of flights that they used to. But what they are all doing is trying to focus on this domestic U.S. leisure demand. And that's where everybody is traveling. And that's where we're seeing some of the fares. A lot of the executives are starting to say they're at or near 2019 levels. So the chances of getting a a really good bargain are pretty much fading as we speak. Right. And you mentioned that, you know, that domestic leisure travel, that's an important point of distinction because business and international travel hasn't ramped up just yet. That's still going to take a little bit more time. And that's kind of what helps offset these lower fares for for all the regular flights, basically. So until those pick up, we'll be in this kind of uh, mode as well. That's helping the consumer somewhat, or vacationer, I should say, in the near term, because it will keep a lid on prices. You know, you don't have those business travelers during the middle of the week. If you as a vacationer can travel in the middle of the week and take those seats at a better price, take it. And then also, if you have a chance to travel in the off season, the airlines are hopeful that business travel, which is already starting to come back, will come back in earnest maybe in the fall. Kids are back in school and more people are vaccinated and companies start to loosen up their travel restrictions for their own people and maybe offices open up to receive visitors. But it's not clear how quickly that's going to happen. I mean, you have legal departments and compliance that are dictating a lot of these 
policies and they don't want to send anyone out too early or, or risk a lawsuit. So if you can travel in the fall or maybe outside of the peak season, I would go for it. You made mention in your article that a lot of airlines are reinstating strict rules that they had on uh, basic economy flights. What were those rules? What's changing there? So one thing that happened during the pandemic is that airlines started to lift or they have lifted change fees and the fees that everybody hates, $250 or more sometimes to change your flight. And everybody knows the frustration of even if you have like a family of four and you need to change for an emergency or something along those lines, or maybe you really like your destination, you want to stay a little bit longer, come back sooner for whatever reason. It's very costly. And airlines were desperate to get people on board last year. So they all, Delta, American and United, lifted change fees, including for international flights. Great news for consumers, but it doesn't apply to the cheapest tickets, which is called basic economy. They're the most restrictive. And one of the pillars of that for most airlines is that they don't allow change fees. So those fares exist and it'll be in buckets on the website when you book your flight on the airline's website. They're there and executives are not shy about this, so that you book the next highest. That will give you a little bit more flexibility that will allow you to bring for certain airlines a carry-on bag on board, let's say not board last. It comes with a seat assignment for what that's worth for you. So it's not free changes for all. Some airlines, like Southwest, for example, they haven't had change fees, so it wasn't much of a change for them. But for the major airlines, they are keeping that, but it is for standard economy tickets. And then, you know, just kind of in keeping in line with this whole thing of, the, you know, the airline travel, the other piece is your lodging. So hotel rates are going up. I found a great place throughout the pandemic that I used for a few getaways just because you needed to get out of the house. Uh, you know, I checked mm-hmm. rates there just for something else again. And boom, the prices are uh, sky high again to the point where, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to go back there. So that's the other piece of this, too, is the you know, with the airlines going up, the hotel rates are also rising. The hotel rates are rising. It's more difficult to get a rental car. If you're not staying at a hotel, even some of the home rentals, the competition is sky high. And this spring and summer, late spring and summer, are always the peak season for travel in the U.S. I mean, kids are off from school. People generally take their vacations when the the weather is nicer. But you have all this pent-up demand for over a year. And, And maybe people, like you said, took those road trips last year. But this is just kind of like a bottleneck of leisure and everyone trying to take a (laughs) vacation at the same time. So the competition is there. My advice would just be as flexible as possible if you can travel in the off season, if you can travel in the middle of the week, take those opportunities where you can. And, And maybe even your work allows you to work remotely and you could extend your vacation and you don't have to come back on a set date if you have that luxury. Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. A little more on the economy. Who's out there driving in-person spending as we recover from the pandemic? Right now, vaccinated consumers have been less likely to go out to restaurants and entertainment venues than those who don't plan on getting the vaccine. Early data shows that the vaccinated are still cautious and are avoiding large crowds. Many states that have had higher vaccination rates have had a slower rebound of in-person spending. Experts say that those consumers should be back at full force by summer. For more on this, we'll speak to Sarah Cheney-Cambon, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. We're seeing that vaccinated Americans, as of now, are less likely to go out to places like restaurants and salons and entertainment venues than people who are not vaccinated. One analyst I spoke with um, put it pretty well, and he said that the vaccinated are proceeding with cautious optimism. 
So they are going out more than they were in January, for instance, but they're just not going out as much as people who don't plan to get the vaccine. And, you know, I'm interested in this story for, for a number of reasons, obviously, right? To see how the mm-hmm. economy is doing, how people are getting out there, but kind of also holds up a mirror to myself in a way. I am vaccinated, but a lot of this makes sense. We're in lockdown for basically a year, you know, told constantly to be careful about stuff, social distancing, mask wearing. Coming out of it, it's going to take a little bit of doing. And even for mm-hmm. myself, I've had that pent up demand to go do so many things, but I haven't even been to a movie yet. Partly because there's not that mm-hmm. many great movies out just yet. I think next month the big blockbusters start rolling out again. But even still, it is that kind of cautious optimism. I, I find myself hesitating sometimes. You know, these COVID vaccines have been rolling out for a few months now. And so you have a not insignificant portion of the population that's fully vaccinated. But I think it's just it's so much more than just getting that second shot in terms of what's going to change people's willingness to go out. I think a lot of it is that the vaccine rollout is incomplete. So even if you are fully vaccinated, maybe you're waiting for more people to get vaccinated. And also, you know, you have the fact that public health guidance from like the CDC is shifting. You know, they recently eased some face mask uh, restrictions, but it takes a while for that sort of news to disseminate and for it to uh, like meaningfully change people's behavior. So let's get into some of the numbers that we're seeing, because there's some interesting things in there. Let's start off with foot traffic. You mentioned the article, this is a proxy for spending. So what are we seeing Mm -hmm. as far as that goes when people are going to airports, hotels, theaters, all this other stuff? So foot traffic data from this company, it's a research or data analytics company called Ernest Research, shows that foot traffic at airports, hotels, and theaters has actually been climbing faster in states with vaccination rates below 45% compared with states with higher rates. And so, again, it supports that idea that higher vaccination rates are not necessarily triggering much faster growth in spending and people's willingness to go out. For states that voted for President Biden and they have higher vaccination rates, their rebounds of in-person spending are a little slower than those that uh, maybe had more relaxed rules and voted for President Trump. Exactly. So the foot traffic data from Ernest Research shows that blue states have had uh, slower rebounds than red states. And, you know, there are multiple factors that could explain what's going on. I don't think it's just one thing. Blue states had tighter business restrictions really throughout the pandemic, and they're starting to lift those restrictions. So we'll kind of see whether those states start to catch up more with red states. And then also they were hit earlier on with the COVID pandemic, a lot of the states in the Northeast were hit really hard. So there could be some scarring effects there, for instance, that have kind of kept people from going out in those areas throughout the pandemic. You know, when it comes to online shopping, too, that's obviously something that played such a huge role throughout the pandemic. That's just another big thing. I haven't Mm -hmm. stepped in a store to buy clothes physically for so long. I can do it online. And so these kind of things are going to slow that return as well. And we did see that the earnest research data show that online spending has accounted for a higher share of spending in these more vaccinated blue states than in red states. And so it'll be interesting to see how much of that continues as the economy reopens more and hopefully COVID cases continue to go down, you know, how much of that online spending 
difference is it's actually going to stick around. It seems like everybody kind of agrees that summer is going to be this big point where many restrictions across the country are going to be lifted. More people will be vaccinated. So everybody's looking for summer for that real big boom. Yeah, the analysts I spoke with for this story were saying that, yeah, right now vaccinated people are not going out as much as not vaccinated people, but that will probably shift some over the summer as hopefully more people become comfortable kind of resuming their normal everyday activities, just going inside restaurants and traveling more and and maybe even going to concerts or movie theaters if good movies come out, right? Right. That's what I'm looking forward to all of those, hopefully very soon. Sarah Cheney Kambon, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Oscar. Finally this week, a new treatment known as optogenetic therapy has given a blind man some of his vision back. Light activated proteins were inserted into eye nerve cells and paired with special goggles that emit flashes of amber hued light. This combination allowed the man with a degenerative eye disease to see and count objects when he previously could only detect just some light. For more on how this man got some limited vision back, we'll speak to Tina Hessman Say, senior writer at Science News. So this is a type of therapy that's called optogenetic therapy. It's a little different from some of the gene therapies you might have heard about before, which replace a faulty copy of a gene with a healthy copy. And it's also different from gene editing, which goes in and fixes a particular mutation. So uh, those, those types of therapy are good for people who still have some of the cells in their retina that that collect the light. Um, those those are you've heard probably rod and cone cells. Right. Um, they're also called photoreceptors. So those cells um, die in people with these degenerative eye diseases, including the one that this man has. Um, and when they die, you lose your vision. But there are still other nerve cells in the retina that are still alive and still capable of working, but they're just not getting signals. So what these researchers have done is taken a gene that will produce a light-sensitive protein, and they put them in these other nerve cells that are still there in the retina. And so now those nerve cells can respond to light. Yeah, it's so but, it's it's so interesting because before this man could see some light, but he couldn't pick out motion or really identify objects. And with this now, he's as I mentioned, he's been able to pick out a couple of moving objects and see some things. The way things work in the eye, they're layered. So with this gene therapy, they're targeting the far back of the eye, which is sending those signals to the brain. Yeah, that's right. So how those cells um, that they put these this, this light-sensitive gene into, uh, they're called ganglion cells, and they're sort of the, the last line of the retina before you send off the signals about what you're seeing to the brain. So normally, they would get varying signals from the other layers uh, in the retina, and 
they would they would fire off in pulses. So the ganglion cell doesn't know what to do with a constant source of light. So that's why you have to send pulses to it because it responds to change in light levels. They've done this type of optogenetic uh, therapy before with different light sources. It used to be more of like a blue light source, but uh, I guess it was very straining for a lot of people. So with this one, they use more of an amber light source, and that's why they use the goggles uh, to put that light source in there as well. So just a lot of interesting things and modifications that they had to do just to get him to be able to see a little bit. Yeah, so so these goggles actually take advantage of a lot of technology that's been developed for cameras, for instance, um, setting light levels, because your eye can respond to a huge range of light levels from the dimmest starlight to the brightest sunny day at the beach. Um, but these proteins that are now responding to light only respond to a very narrow window. And so the goggles have to like take all these different light levels and put it into uh, that narrow band that the, these proteins respond to. And so now with all of this, how optimistic are doctors for the future? And the man himself, has he had any reaction to being able to pick out certain things now? Um, so the man only speaks French, so I wasn't able to talk with him specifically. Uh, but, you know, the doctors are, they're cautiously optimistic. This is, you know, one person. Um, they have they have done this with, um, I think they said nine other people so far in this clinical trial. Um, and this man got the lowest dose of these uh, light activated proteins that that they felt would be um, workable. And so other people in the trial are getting higher doses, so they may have better responses. But with COVID, uh, it was very difficult for them to come into the lab to do the testing and training that they needed to do because this is not like a therapy that you can just go in, have them shoot something into your eye, and then you can see. It takes months, actually, for the proteins to be made, and then it takes a while to train the brain to make sense of what you're seeing because there are very few cells that contain these proteins, and, you know, they're getting it in a different um information sense than they normally would when you see. So it takes a while for the brain to, to figure all of that out. Um, yeah. well, so hopefully we'll have more data on these other people soon, but you know, this is, this is a great first step. Tina Hessman say senior writer at science news. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.